Welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We've got an awesome guest lined up today, Miss Megan Landymore. I first heard about Megan at the Georgia Jewel 100 Miler a few months ago. Her story is amazing. In 2018, Meg ran the Georgia Jewel six months after giving birth to her second child, and she broke the course record and finished first place overall in the 100-mile distance. So we talked to Meg about what was the number one challenge she faced during that training cycle with a newborn and putting in the work to go and perform as well as she performed at a extremely tough mountain race. Megan is so much more than a runner, though. She is obviously a mother, a wife. She's a physician's assistant, so she's a professional on a high level. She's also an Army soldier. She's just got so much to offer. She's a coach. She's coaching now, so um, it's exciting. We talked to Meg about her stance on coaching and what kind of program she offers uh, just so much stuff jam-packed into this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Here she is, Miss Megan Landymore. Welcome to the 307 Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time for this today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are fired up. Meg, we're just going to jump right into this thing. I want to talk about the Georgia Jewel. So when I first heard your story, I was at the race check-in or the packet pickup for the Georgia Jewel, you know, just about, I guess, about a month ago. And the race director announced Meg's story um, about how last year Meg broke the course record at the Georgia Jewel six months after giving birth. And I think everybody there, it blew everyone away. Like, you got a standing ovation. And Meg was actually there again this year volunteering at the race. Is that right, Meg? Yep, that's correct. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it's just it's just so awesome. I, I want to know, first of all, when did you choose to run a 100-mile race, the Georgia Jewel? Was that during pregnancy was it after pregnancy when did you when did you make that decision or set that goal for yourself so wow i mean the georgia jewel itself is 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 its own thing in my life now which is why it's tattooed on me and everything else um essentially i ran my first 100 miler back in 2013 12 i think i ran Mm -hmm. the bear um and then in 2013 i got pregnant with my son beginning of 2014 and um after that it took a long time coming back and just there's a lot of guilt and stuff when you're a mom it's very complicated to go disappear into the woods for six hours and leave your kid so it took a long time coming back and I had made the decision that there was no way I was going to do a hundred miler that year um and he was two I think at that point um and then we decided that we should try and knock out having a second because I was having some health issues that were getting, it's a good way to say it, skirted around. I kept, they kept telling me, well, let us know when you're done having kids and we'll talk. Um, so we were trying to move up our timeline on finishing up, you know, making our family. Um, then I was like, man, if I don't do a hundred mile this year, I won't be able to do one forever. You know, then I'll have this like seven year gap. Um, and I was like, I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to sign up for one. So I signed up for Georgia Jewel 2016 
with eight weeks to train. I put in four weeks hard effort and then four weeks of taper and I DNF'd at mile 72, um, which is its own long story. Well, tell but, us, a, if, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about that, Meg. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I'd like yeah. to hear that because that's a huge, I didn't know that part of the story and I think there's probably a huge lesson there. Yeah, so I, in my training, I got a lot of back-to-back and I trained hard in the time that I had, but I obviously wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for the heat. I wasn't ready for the descents um, and climbs, you know, climbing is something you have to train but if you've got endurance then climbing is not so bad but the descents actually tore up my muscles so I got a calf cramp at like mile 20 and a real cramp you know when you sit in the side of the trail staring at your leg I've never had one of those before it's still the only time I ever had right and I'm like "Uh oh that's not good if that happens again I literally can't walk so let's see what happens I kept going and at that point I was on record breaking pace but I didn't know that or particularly care I was just out there having the time of my life um and I ended up, I noticed around mile 42, I was getting really swollen, uh, hadn't peed in hours. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take this next section really easy. At the time, the entire next section was this 11 mile stretch out to mile 50 to, to the turnaround where you do the power lines. And it was 11 miles of just gravel, direct sun. There's not a single bush to hide under or shade. The water stop is sitting in the sun. So, you know, it was hot. And it was pretty bad. So when I got to mile 50, they're like, we got to get you out of here. And I was like, no, 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 I got to sit because I'm not in good shape right now. I was like, I'm peeing Coca-Cola. This is not good. So I sat, my crew took care of me. And then um, another guy picked me up and he said, he was really excited. First time he's ever been in Altsburg. He said, I can pace you. I said, well, I was sure, you know, I'm not that healthy. Come on out. Um, He was an army guy too. We ended up talking and walking and, you know, we missed the turn by six miles or so. Right. Yeah. So sunset's coming. We ended up completely alone in the dark, um, you know, holding hands. Uh, Then my crew ran up the trail and ended up finding us. We tacked about 12 miles onto the course. Um, So I kept going and tried, but my leg just was not working and I couldn't really figure it out. To be honest, I just knew that I was going really slow and I felt off balance. And so we decided to pull it at the top of Johns Mountain, um, only to find out a few hours later that my leg blew up and I had like clearly damaged my calf muscle pretty bad so I guess it was a good thing but it built up a whole lot of regret and like I have to go back right so then I spent the then we tried to get pregnant I had a you know or very early miscarriage so not a huge loss but you know stressful nonetheless um and I decided after that I really wasn't ready to do this and I really just wanted to train and do the Georgia Jewel again so naturally I trained all year ended up pregnant in July so I dropped from the 100 2017 and I only ran the 35 mile, um, which I did also do well at and one first at that, which was really cool. And then when we were leaving there, it was kind of heartbreaking. It's wonderful to volunteer at your, your A race that you trained all year for, but it's also kind of heartbreaking to watch other people do it while you're on the sidelines. So I let the, my last little bit of crying as we drove off and my husband was like, next year. And I was like, that's stupid. I can't do that next year. I'll be six months postpartum. There's no way I could pull that off. And he was like, I think you could. And I was like, yes. And so I said to him, I said, you know what that means for you, though, right? Because it's actually almost harder on you than it is on me. You're the one that's got to watch both the kids while I'm off doing all my training runs. And he was like, yeah, I think you should do it. I said, all right, let's not talk about this again for now. But he planted a seed, right? That's really all it took. Um, and so that that was kind of the goal. I tried to run through my second pregnancy. I had a lot of pain issues and vascular issues. 
um, which are still getting worked on now, right? I'm still seeing new specialists and it's been kind of dramatic. Um, <laughs> but right after I had him, my second son um, in March, in early May, I had a, a stent placed. And I, like two weeks after that, Jenny Baker, the race director for Georgia Jewel, posted that the race was filling up. And I was like, no, 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 I have to do it. So I signed up and that left me about three and a half months to train. Wow. So that's how I got there. And that's how I kind of became part of the, the Georgia Jewel family. I just kind of ended up there every year. <laughs> Yeah, and that group is truly a family. Um, they have they've built an awesome community around that event. So it sounds like that DNF that happened the first time you attempted the hundred the the hundred miler, that really nurtured a hunger. It sounds like you you know, and, and that's the way I am too. A lot of times when things are taken from you, and 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 you didn't in my in my mind you did not quit you allowed your body to make that decision so essentially your body took took it away from you took the choice away from you i like to think about it that way yeah totally i could have hobbled to the end maybe you know (laughs) yeah totally um but when it's taken from you then it causes a hunger and then to have an awesome person in your life uh, like your husband to just replant that seed Uh, That's an amazing thing. I guess you guys are an awesome team, and I want to dig into that, too, here in just a little bit. So after you had your your second child and you said you saw that the race was filling up and you went ahead and signed up Mm -hmm. uh, in 2018, what was your goal for the race when you signed up? Were you going back to win this race? To what, what, what were you thinking in your head? I wanted to finish. I had no goals. I mean, you know, as amazed as everyone else is with how I did, I'm amazed with how I did, right? Like, mm-hmm. I did not see that coming, right? My goal was to finish if I had to walk the entire thing. I thought that would be safe. At least I could do that at minimum, right? As long as I'm prepared for the heat and I could eat and move, then I could get to the end. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. And you ended up crushing the course record, so. Yeah. Yeah, we, we got to dig into that. Uh, I want to ask you about balance. So I want to focus specifically on that training cycle. So when you decided to sign up in 2018 and you've got that training block ahead of you, obviously you put in the work during that training block because there's no way you could have performed the way you performed. So I know you had to have been training really hard. Can you talk to us about balance specifically for other female ultra runners or aspiring ultra runners that may be in the same situation that you were in back then. How did you learn and utilize let like lessons to balance your work, your training and your home life? It's complicated. Um, I mean, balance always is right, and it always shifts, and it's always changing, so we never really get it right, right? It's always something we're working on. Um, But my big thing for that was to get time on my feet, right, was to to squeeze it in where I could, to break it up how many times I had to. So I had multiple days that I had three runs in one day, and I would do it that way. So I almost had like a back-to-back to back to back and then it would take two or three days off to recover like I would get as much mileage as I could in just time I didn't do any speed or anything like that I did you know I did a lot of um, stair stepping and stuff like that that I could do before my kids woke up just in my house right I just put a weight pack on and, and just 
climb steps. Um, and that was most of my strength and everything else. Cause I wasn't, you know, I couldn't get too quickly back into strength either. Cause your core still has to heal after having a kid and rebuilding everything. So I couldn't do speed. Um, my nutrition was kind of a mess to be honest, because I just had to eat, right? Like I was still healing. Um, and early on I was still breastfeeding. So, you know, that's a whole nother thing. So it was like, I can't even try to be careful right now. I just need to eat whatever I need to eat and support the mileage that I'm putting down. And so, I mean, it's, it's almost, it really is almost like miraculous how it came together. Cause I would have never thought, I mean, I did, I worked really hard. I put in a ton of miles at weird hours. I don't know how many times I put both my kids to bed and then went out for a 20 mile run around where I live, which is like streets and communities, right? It was boring and awful. Um, but that, that was when it worked, you know, I could get home by one or two in the morning, pass out for a few hours and be ready, you know, to be there. Um, cause my kids always come first. That was sort of the disjointed balance. Um, but it worked, you know, and I crammed in heat training wherever I could get 20 minutes, I go to the sauna and, and things like that. Let me ask you this too, Meg, how hard was it to, go from the trail or the, the the road or wherever you were training and you're the ultra runner, you're, you're in that element and you're in that mindset. And then you go from there back into your home and you've got to be a mom and a wife and, and just a whole nother, uh, it's, it's a whole nother existence. So how did you, how, how could you switch that on and off? I mean, cause I imagine you, it sounds like you had to do that multiple times a day. Was there was there like any decompression time in between the the training to when you would walk in the front door and feel your role as a mother and a wife and a soldier and and a professional? Um, was there was there any decompression between that? I mean, how how do you switch not it on really, and off? Not really. And to me, that's the hardest part. Um, that's the hardest part to me of being a mom and being an ultra runner or, you know, any one with too many hobbies, <laughs> however you want to put it. Right. Um, but that's the hard part. You know, I, I mean, someone was doing a study or something. They wanted to know why more females in the age group between like high twenties to, to 40 don't run ultras. And it's because it's, it's less often, it's not as fun. It's not as relaxing. Spending that time away, stressing about getting back to your family and knowing that the minute you walk in the door, you don't get to relax and make yourself a really awesome breakfast and sit down and stretch and do what you're supposed to and roll out. You are just pretending like you did nothing because your kids have no idea what a half mile is or what a 20 mile run is. I just brought my son out to my 100 mile this weekend and he kind of sort of gets it, but still not at all. Right. Like he's like, wow, that is a long way. And I was like, yeah, I was up all night. So I'm a little bit tired. And he was like, yeah, I'm kind of tired, too. Like, yeah, OK. Right. He has no idea. And I can't expect him to. And so you just you just show up. You know, but yeah, it does wear you out over time. That's so awesome, Meg. And it's it's I think it's amazing that you that you found a way to to fill all those roles, professional life, mother, ultra runner. And that's something that I struggle with in my own life is is finding a balance when, you know, when I come in off the road and everybody wants to know how it went and just being able to give them a 15 minute dump about how everything went and then get back to regular life, you know, yeah. and I've been struggling with that myself, but that's kind of what three of seven's all about too, though, is balance. We, we, we talk about body, soul, and spirit and how those three aspects have to be balanced to, you know, have yeah. a fulfilling life. Um, 
Ken, and so you've talked a little bit about the challenges that you face during that training cycle. Is there is there one like number one challenge that you face that you remember during that training cycle, whether it be uh, a, a time, whether it be time or or the way you felt or uh, nutrition? Just is there something that really stands out that you really struggled with and was were able to overcome? Um. I mean, honestly, considering everything I had going on, it went really smoothly. So that training cycle wasn't bad. It was, it's almost, you know, I know that that's the story, but it's almost like everything that came after that is actually when having two kids is so much harder and nobody, you know, they're like, oh, it's not that much different, but it is. It's way freaking different. Um, and especially if you're trying to train and be an athlete, it's a completely different ball game. Right. Um, you know, and I mean, I was very lucky. My second one slept really great. Right. So I was certainly sleep deprived training for Georgia Jewel, but not, not terribly. He slept through the night pretty quickly. And when he did wake up, he's still to this day, just goes back down pretty easy. So it hasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't struggle that badly with, with anything. Luckily I didn't have any pain or, or anything at that time. I felt really great. That's amazing. And I wanted to la- last question about the training block. Uh, I read a great article about you earlier today, and it's actually listed in the, the bio in your on your Instagram page. And it was so wonderful. But one of the things that stood out uh, in that article to me was you talking about um, your husband and, and how and you just said it earlier, how it might be harder for him uh, to to go through this this training cycle at this time than it than it may have been for you how what did you guys have to do as a husband and wife to to find a balance between each other if that makes any sense I think um, balance is such a complicated topic to me because I really do like I said I feel like it's an ever-changing progress um we're always looking for that balance I mean honestly it's a huge focus of mine over the next, I hope the next year to finally give my husband a little bit more balance, right? Cause he's, he's ridiculously giving. So he's like, I got it. I got it. You just go do you. Cause I'm the overachiever type, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to go run a hundred miler and then I'm going to join this and I'm going to get certified in that. And Oh yeah, I'm going to open a business. And you know, and he's like, cool. I'm like, boy, what do you want to do? Right. He wants to go back to school. And so we're working on getting him back to school for his master's hopefully next fall. I'm like, I promise there's going to be time for you. You know, we had some conversation during training, either right after or right before Georgia Jewel um, last year. And, you know, he was he wanted to do the 18. So he's on the 18 mile at Georgia Jewel both last year and this year. Um, and he said something to me like, well, I don't have to run because you're the one training. I was like, listen, I'm always going to be training for something. We have to make time for you. You know, he he won't ask for it. I have to be like, hey. We've got three free hours. You want to go do something? You know, I kind of have to push him out the door and then he loves it. But that's kind of our balance. For better or for worse, I'm kind of our leader and I make all the plans and kind of make things happen. And so I, he lets me do that. And that requires me to also kind of push him and be like, hey, it's your time. Yeah, and I love that, Meg. It sounds like you're intentionally conscious of making time for him. And and even though he's so selfless and and like you said he 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 would never ask for it, yeah. you in your own mind you're you're intentionally thinking about okay well he needs he needs some time too to to achieve his goals and and to go out and do the things that he wants to do yeah and I think that just 
goes to show how how amazing you are, Meg. So thank you. That's wonderful. I want to dig in just uh, briefly on the actual race that year in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of give us a rundown and um, maybe give us a high and a low. And when you when you figured out, oh my gosh, I'm going to win this thing and crush the course record. Well. We started out and I thought I was going to get to stay with this group of like three people. And then pretty quickly, it was obvious that I was not. So by the time we got three miles in, I was by myself. Um, And I felt great. Uh, My heart rate was pretty high. I mean, we were climbing, right? So I wasn't too worried, but I was like, man, am I pushing too hard? But I felt really good. And um, I've told people, I feel like the biggest important thing about my training was the fact that I knew the course well enough that I had mentally run it on every single training run, right? All of those miles that I did on pavement, on flat, boring places, I was mentally running that course because I'd been on it twice. I knew it by heart. Um, And it literally just felt like I was floating through the beginning part. You know, I'd been there twice before. It felt very like home. Um, And I questioned my speed plenty of times, but I was like, no, I'm not falling. I'm not overpacing myself. I'm just moving comfortably while it's nice and cool. Right. And that's always kind of my goal in hot races is like get as far as you can before the heat of the day and then take it easy. Um, Which, you know, is debatable. Everyone does it differently, but I, I like to use that time that I feel well. Um, And that worked pretty well for me, you know, and then I joked, um, uh, a couple of the guys that, that run the aid station on John's Mountain, I joked with him because he said, what time do you think you come back? Because last year, which they took it out this year, there was literally a 12-foot cliff that you had to climb up and then back down John's Mountain. Um, and coming up it, I said, that is some scary stuff. I do not want to do that in the dark. And so he joked. He said, I'll go down it with you. And I said, you won't because you'll be drunk when I get back here. <laughs> and I'm not letting you fall down the mountain for me. Um, I was like, but my high goal, I'd make it back before sunset. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I was like, I said, it's the high goal. I'm not expecting anything, but we'll see what happens. Um, and I got down, I did the loops down there and it was really stinking hot. I went through all my water and each time I sat, I was dizzy and somebody would hand me something I drank and eat. And once I stood up, I felt okay again. Um, but I mean, and I was able to maintain a solid pace through those loops, but I just remember feeling, you know, lightheaded it was it was hot and I was walking through any time that there was a gap in the trees right the sun just baked you um and so I hiked through those sections and before I knew it they were over um but that was probably the hardest part I don't know I wouldn't call it a low per se because I still was in good spirits and just doing well um at that point I was still sort of eating nutrition at that time I still hadn't figured it out really so I thought I would eat, but of course I was like, no way, I'm not eating anything. Um, so I had a hard time. I was starting to slow down a little bit from that. Um, and then the trip up John's Mountain, I only remembered how bad it felt um, in 2016, right? And so I gave myself this huge amount of time to cover that distance. And then once I started running, I said, actually, I ran this last year pregnant. It wasn't that bad. And so next thing I knew, I was jogging up half of it and I made it in like an hour and 20 minutes or something ridiculous. I don't remember, but way faster. Like I cut off two hours off what I had on my, you know, my little pace chart that I dreamt up. Um, And I got up there and I I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, he said, you're here. And I said, I know, I know. It's just as crazy as I thought. Right. And so I was like, well, listen, I have to go because the sun's setting in 20 minutes and I have to get down that damn mountain before the sun goes down because I don't want to fall off that cliff. 
So he handed me some food, which I put in a bag because I couldn't eat. And then I ran down um, and, you know, made it just before sunset, which is where I picked up my pacer, Liz Canty, um, who's also an amazing runner. Um, and she went with me. But, of course, like, so I had taken, like, two bites of food since mile 50 at that point. Um, so I was starting to fail the nutrition game pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but I was still moving well. Uh, by the time we got to 80-something, uh, Snake Creek, I think, at mile 18, I think that was the last place my husband made me a avocado wrap, and I took, like, two bites, and I left it on the table, and he was like, you should walk with it, and I was like, nah, I'm good, and, and then I crashed from there, right? So, you know, it was it was amazing to me that I had this amazing run, because in my mind, I still totally failed it, right? Like, I after mile 50, I barely ate more than 300 calories. Um, somewhere around mile 90, Liz went into my pack and grabbed whatever I had and was like, eat this, right? She poured my last electrolyte like into my drink and was like, you need to drink. And she'd call back and be like, are you drinking? I'd be like, no, I'm nauseous. <laughs> She's like, drink. And I'd take like half a sip, right? I mean, I was really lazy about it. And around mile 94, I was just done. But as soon as we hit the road, I mean, I ran and she left me at 93 because she had um, bear the following weekend. So I did the, she left me at 97, sorry, right at power lines. And I did those last three and I ran that whole section, um, of course, except for the wall. Right. And I like crawled up that thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually thought that I totally blew it because I was in my mind, my high goal was 22 hours. So I thought I was just coming in over 22. So I was like, man, I'm not even going to make it under it. That sucks. I was all bummed. Um, but I was also just thrilled to be done. Right. And I was excited to sleep and just sit. Right. So I came through and they told me there's 2103 and I was like, what? I did the math wrong the last 20 hours for a right back. So it was amazing. Um, it was really cool. All right. So Meg, when you run these ultra distance races, do you uh, watch your pace? Do you set all your splits? Do you know all that ahead of time or do you kind of just run more by feel? So I run much more by feel. Um, I kind of make a plan more for my crew and just to kind of help them figure out what's going on. Um, but I don't, you know, it's kind of, I like to have a high goal. And so that's always in the back of my mind, right? Something to be shooting for. Um, but I never expect to be able to do that, I guess. Totally. That's exactly the way I run. And I've never heard it put that way to have like a high goal. And so I'm the same way. I don't ever calculate my splits. Uh, I don't turn my GPS on on my watch. I'm just totally off a of field. But I always have an end goal in my mind, um, usually, for a final time. So I love that style. Fits well with me. Next questions, real quick. I want to kind of shift gears into your professional life, Meg. You are a physician's assistant, which is a huge accomplishment. Uh, and I want to pick your brain a little bit. A question I get asked all the time, and I want to ask you because you are a medical professional, are these ultra-distance races healthy for us? What's your opinion on that? Well, <laughs> I think they're healthy if they're done right, um, and that's very vague, right? Um, I think they can be very healthy. I also think they can be very dangerous, right? I mean, right? I just shared my story about how poorly I did that nutrition. That's never good for you. Right. That that damages your muscles. It takes more out of you than it should. Um, so is that technically healthy? Probably not. I get away with it because I'm young enough to, to manage it. Right. Should a 50 year old go out and try to 
do 100 miles plus or minus the right training and poor nutrition? Probably not. All right, that could be detrimental to their joints or their overall health. Um, so yes and no. In the right for the right people, it's the right thing, right? I mean, I've met a couple of guys. I have a, an army friend who, you know, he was a jumper, so he's jumped out of planes a few hundred times, and his knees are wrecked, right? He did 150 mile, and he's like, I don't know. And then I said, Yeah, you know, it may actually just not be for you, right? You might just be better off on a bicycle, you know. Um, you know, and, and I have another friend who just he's like, I hike now, and I was like, I think that's great, right? Like whatever gets you outside. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love that answer, Meg, because uh, earlier in the show, we were talking a lot about balance mm-hmm. and that was a well-balanced answer. So uh, what I got from that is it, it 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 can be healthy for you if it's done properly. And I, it sounds like the diet portion of it is a huge thing uh, to you when it comes yeah. to doing it properly and making it ha- uh, healthy. Yeah. I would like to get from you for our listeners a practical example of your daily diet for the listeners just to have you know the the practical things that you eat from morning till you go to bed that way they can they can go to the grocery store and buy these things and try to implement it in their own life so what do you think is 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 proper for this ultra running uh, as far as diet goes not even necessarily for ultra running but just a good healthy life yeah so I'm not the best example, right? I'll put that out there as a as a precursor. Um, nutrition is a hard thing for me, right? I went through a couple of years, probably longer than I want to admit, but it seems far enough in the past now. But I struggled with a eating disorder in the past. Um, and so I spent some time being a vegetarian because I don't really particularly like meat. Um, so it was easy, right? But then as I got into running more and more and expected more of my body, I had to fuel it, right? So then I started adding more things in, you know, my dad joked with me, like, you have to eat fat. I don't care if you dip your vegetables in olive oil, but you have to eat. And I was like, all right. Um, And then when I met my husband, he makes like vats of food and I'm lazy, right? My problem with nutrition is that I'm lazy, right? Most people, their laziness means they go get a bag of chips. Mine is I just eat what's there, right? Whether or not it's good or bad. Um, So my daily nutrition, I actually use a a drink mix called Huel, H-U-E-L, and it's a full food replacement, right? It's plant-based. Um, it's got four to 500 calories, depending on how you mix it. And I use that for breakfast and sometimes for one of my other meals as well. So I get about 1,000 calories of my nutrition and at least 50% of all of my vitamins and everything is strictly from that. It makes it easier for me to not feel so bad about the rest, right? That I was hungry and just grabbed a bag of pretzels at work because I didn't actually bring enough food for myself as usual, right? Or I grabbed um, a pre-made salad at Wawa, right? And that's that's my reality, right? It's not something I'm proud of. I continually work at it, but I always am like, I think I have enough food. And I brought like a thousand calories of like salad, and I'm like, okay, and I'm starving. <laughs> um, so I, I'm always short and end up finding whatever it is I find, which is rarely something I would suggest, right? Um, and people, you know, and that's the hard part as a runner is that everyone around you were you would hope them to be more supportive because you're a runner. You need to eat more healthy. Instead, everyone's like, oh, but you run. Who cares? Eat the cake, right? And it's like, well, no, <laughs> that's not actually how it works. Right? I actually want to decrease my inflammation and be able to recover. So I actually would really rather have, like, something real. Um, so on a good day, right, I have a couple of fuel shakes. Um, 
and then I try to have some some real meal of some sort, right? Which varies. Often it's like chicken and some vegetable and whatever kind of side, like a rice or something that my husband's already made, and I just warm it up, right? Um, with my kids, they com- eat completely different, so it's kind of our house is not not the way I was raised, right? With everyone sits at the table and eats together. It's a little messier than that, so mine's always a little bit messier too. <laughs> So nutrition's a hard one for me, um, and I'm not a glaring example of something that I think everyone should do, um, but I, I guess it's a real answer, right? And when I counsel patients, for example, about nutrition, because I've had people who are like, well, I'm going to start a diet tomorrow. I'm not eating anything but fruit and vegetables from now on. I was like, and that's going to work for about four days. And then you're going to see your friends eating, and you're going to be like, screw this, right? Like, don't even, don't try so hard. Just know what you're doing, right? It's being conscientious about what you're doing for yourself and what you should be doing for yourself, right? If you make the bad choice, if you choose the candy bar over the salad or whatever it is you were supposed to eat, so what, right? You're human. You should enjoy life, but be aware of the fact that you made that decision, right? It's finding balance in that too. I think there's anything you shouldn't eat or anything you have to eat that's going to make any difference in your health. That's awesome advice on diet. I like that uh, you gave us a real answer and not the answer that maybe everybody would would expect to hear from an athlete of your caliber. But it's just a practical thing that that I think the listeners will get a lot out of that. We're not all perfect and we eat as best we can and roll with it. You know, take the take the punches as they come. I want to talk real quick about you are a soldier and it's so amazing, so close to my heart. You know, I spent 12 years in the Navy as a as a U.S. Navy SEAL active duty. When did you choose to serve and how did that fit into your lifestyle? Um, it's just it, it's so cool that, that that you do all this stuff and you're a soldier on top of all of it. I guess I, I kind of wanted to serve. My dad served in the Coast Guard and he only did his time. Right. He, he put in four years to get himself through um, through the Coast Guard Academy and then gave his four years back. Um, and then he was done. And as a kid, I don't know, something about that lifestyle and moving constantly was so enticing. And I was like, why didn't we stay? We would have had like a social life, which we didn't have, right? My parents kind of live in the middle of nowhere. They're very kind of reclusive. And I get it now that I'm growing up. I'm like, wow, they kind of got it right, right? But um, I want, I didn't understand why he didn't want to be a part of it all. Um, and so I kind of did. But I ended up going to private schools where I had a uniform. And as stupid as it was at 18, the last thing I was going to do was wear a uniform and nobody was going to make me. I wanted to go to college and do whatever I wanted to do. So I didn't go then. Then at the end of college, I thought about going, um, but didn't, don't know why really, but people talked me into grad school and I was like, oh man, I don't know what I'm doing going to grad school. Ended up with a medical degree and started working at Johns Hopkins and Great hospital, amazing doctors, but my actual job was pretty terrible. I didn't see patients much. I pretty much stared at a computer screen and copy and pasted stuff. And I was like, this is not it. I still want to do more with my life than this. So I started talking to recruiters and trying to figure out what to do. And that was about the same time I started volunteering with the Sixth Branch, which is the organization my husband took over about almost seven years ago now, um, which was a brand new baby nonprofit at the time. Um, He kind of built it up from scratch and we volunteered there together. And then on the sidelines, sort of, I helped support him building it. Um, And he still works for the Sixth Branch. Anyway, I volunteered there about 20 or 30 hours a week. And the more we talked and got to know each other, he said, 
if you want to do good in the world, then you should do what we're doing. He said, don't, don't go into the military. I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. So for an entire year, I volunteered my heart out. I mean, anything and everything I could do, I, I tried. Um, I did business volunteers and got some experience if I wanted to go be on a board of a nonprofit. And it still just didn't fulfill it for me. You know, I still wanted in. Um, and I was talking to a friend and she said, why don't you go reserves? I said, oh, man, you know, I've never thought of that. I'm kind of a 100 percent kind of person. So I looked into it. Um, and a lot of the feedback I was getting was like, oh, yeah, I mean, reserves are good, but you'll have to wait and wait until there's a slot for you. Um, and I happened to work at um, the emergency department with someone who was already in the guard. He said, we got a slot right now. I said, OK, I'm in. Right. He said, do you want to hear about the bonuses? And I said, no, I don't care. I'm in. Um, so, you know, the commissioning process took about 11 months, 12 months, somewhere in there. Um, during that time, I ended up pregnant with my first son. So when I actually commissioned, right, I was about eight months pregnant, um, and we talked about it, and we were on the fence, right? Is this really still something I want to do? Because this kind of changes things. And I said yes, and I don't know. I'll never know if that was really the right answer, right? Um, I'm glad I did, I think, but it's been it's been hard. It's been hard to be away at all, right? Even, you know, it's just a weekend a month most of the time. But it's, it's other things you have to do, right? Your service is so much more than that time you spend there. Silly things, whether it's driving to the closest, you know, fort, whatever. For us, it's Fort Meade to, to buy uniform pieces. Or, you know, as an officer, a lot of stuff isn't handed to you, um, which is fair, but also complicated when you have a civilian life to manage as well. Um, so I'm really impressed by the people that I've served with. I don't know how they've done it for as long as they have. Um, yeah. So it's been awesome. I work as a physician assistant in the military as well. So I'm a medical provider. Um, most of what I do is making sure that soldiers are ready to deploy if they need to. What I was thinking about when you were telling that story is you said, you know, as you were going through those stages of your life and then you, you spent that year volunteering your heart out, but it's still there was still something that. I guess there was still maybe a, I don't know if you call it a hole, or there was something that was still driving you to serve. Do you think that that was, was that a patriotic thing, or was that a want to be part of something? Does that make any sense? Yeah, um, I wanted to be a part of something, and I wanted to be something where I felt I could really give my all and give back to people somehow. So going through all of this, it brought me back here, right, and ultra running ultra running is what i do it's what i love it's the people i love and being able to start coaching people that's been the best thing that's ever happened to me right that's awesome and i only started i only coach a couple athletes and i started last year but it was realizing like hey i really do have something to offer um and that that's been the most enjoyable part right it was once i was in the military and had less time for races that i realized that most of the people that were following me followed me because it did something for them Right. And so most of the good I was doing was my posting silly pictures of myself running around every day. And I was like, that's the good I'm doing. I was planning to, like, save people's lives, you know. But, you know, it's just smaller than that. It's it's how you help people through the day. Right. Yes. Yes. No, I agree 100 percent, Meg. And 
that's a perfect transition. I want to hear a little bit about your coaching services. I want you to to give our listeners um, the information of how they can find you and follow you. And uh, are you taking on new clients now? I mean, uh, because I think you offer a very special, special perspective. And and I think that you have a lot of knowledge that other coaches are not going to have, not only because of what you have done with your ultra running, but because you are a soldier, because you are such a, a professional. I, I want you to I mean, I would I would love you to be my coach. So, I, I mean, is there room for more? How can people find you? Um, I mean, right now it's just messaging me either through Instagram, Facebook or email. Um Right now, I, I don't have any account set up. I kind of gave myself a, a five-client number. So once I had like five study clients, I'd go ahead and pay for a website and do the whole thing. But um, I've been, you know, it's 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 not my it's not my goal to be a full-time coach, right? It's my goal to help to help the people that I can, right? So um, it's not about I don't know. It's it's just not about that, right? But if it ends up being about that, it'd be okay. In fact, it would be amazing. I would love to help you. I'm happy to work with you in terms of pricing, timing, whatever. My goal is I try to be very one-on-one with everybody, right? So, I mean, not necessarily near you, but, you know, I, I, oh I use the platform that we can talk almost every single day because things change from day to day and your plan should too. Awesome, Meg. And is your, the coaching, is it is it specific to ultra running or, or, I mean, would you be willing to coach uh, other runners that may be interested in maybe marathon distance or less distance? Yeah, um, I'm certified to coach in all distances. I particularly like ultra runners. Um, I don't want to put anyone in a box, but no, I would, I mean, I'm happy to coach marathoners. I would probably struggle more with coaching someone how to run their fastest 5k ever. Um, it's just not really my personal interest i can still help people and i can set up a plan um all right amazing thank you so much meg and where can people find you on instagram and reach out to you with a uh, with a direct message that's the easiest way to get a hold of you right now probably um, okay. at meg landy ultra all right outstanding easy day thank you so much for your time meg thank you thank you for what you're what you're doing uh not only with this podcast i would encourage you to do more because you have an amazing story and such an amazing skill set that i don't know anyone else who has the skill sets all in one package that you have thank you Uh, so yeah thank you so much for coming on this is three of seven podcasts enough said